I'm going to pray for Forrest here, and then he'll bring us the message. Christ, I thank you for Forrest and his serving heart. I pray, Lord, that you illuminate our minds and teach us through the scriptures that have been put on his heart today and through the message. May he trust in that, may he speak boldly, and may we hear what you have for us today. We pray in your name. Amen. The other night we were, me and Kyle were kind of joking about preaching without notes. Well, I have nine pages of them, and (laughs) Kyle has none, so Kyle, here's your opportunity. (laughs) Yesterday we, my family had like a little get-together celebrating some birthdays, and I was talking with my brother, and and I was, you know, telling him I'm going to preach. And I was telling him, you know, I'm not really that nervous about it. Normally, I'm kind of a nervous wreck today before I preach. And last night, going to bed, I, I told my lovely wife, I don't, you know, I'm not as nervous as I normally am. And then I walked up here, and I felt the nerves. <laughs> John, John Hartzler once told me, if you're not nervous, I would be worried. So don't have to worry, John. The nerves are here. As I prepared this week... I came across an article online. It was actually originally written in a Reader's Digest, and I'm going to read it as my intro. A 747 was halfway across the Atlantic when the captain got on a loudspeaker and said, Attention, passengers, we have lost one of our four engines, but we certainly can reach London with the three that we have left. Unfortunately, we'll be an hour late. Shortly after that, The captain made another announcement. Sorry, we have lost another engine. We're down to two, but don't worry. We can still make it to London. However, we're going to be two hours late. Shortly thereafter, the passengers heard the captain's voice once again. Guess what, folks? We've lost our third engine. Don't worry. Be assured we can make it to London. However, we're going to be three hours late. Well, at this point, one of the passengers became angry and furious and said, for Pete's sakes, If we keep this up, we'll be up here all night. (laughs) Obviously, the man had no sense what was powering the jet. But I wonder if his comment is any any different or any more ridiculous than church-going religious people. Excuse me. I wonder if his comment is any more ridiculous than people... Religious people going to church and not knowing the source of why they're going to church. If you will, turn to John chapter 7. I'm going to be focusing on verses 37 through 39. I'm going to give a little kind of a background leading up to this, but I want to start here. John 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive as For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, let me give you a little background information leading up to when Jesus made this claim. 
Jesus was attending the Feast of Booths, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And I'm kind of kind of summarize the verses leading up up to this point. And I would encourage you to read these verses leading up to this point. I would encourage you to read all of John seven as we've been walking through the book of John. But I think John kind of summarizes up a little bit of what's going on here with um, verse 43 of the chapter. John says, so there was division among the people over him. Leading up into this up into this point, we kind of see the people were asking the age old question, who is Jesus? It's no different today. We're constantly asking the question, who is Jesus? And this would continue throughout Jesus's public ministry. We later see in, in the book of John in chapter nine, verse 16, the Pharisees said this. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can this man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them later in the chapter or later in the book, um, chapter 10, verse 19. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We see that even in Jesus's time, there was lots of debate who Jesus is. And many of those debates and claims are still the same today. Some say Jesus is a good man. Look at uh, chapter back in chapter seven, verse 12. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he's leading people astray. Some said he had a demon, which is in verse 20. They were claiming that that's how he's doing these signs is from the power of a demon. Look at verses 40 and 41. Some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? We see that people are constantly asking who Jesus is. And we do much the same today. And I think Jesus kind of gives us a little bit of an answer or a clue or kind of answers into the controversy around him. Look at John verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The phrasing here used by Jesus is unmistakable. He's literally saying, if any man is willing to do God's will, he will know. We will know God through obedience. The grumbling and the murmuring about who Jesus was was happening at the Feast of Booths. Now, the Feast of Booths was a week-long camping festival in Jerusalem. The, all the men in the area of Jerusalem would, would go and make uh, tents out of branches and leaves and live in these tents. And it was to remind them of the Israelites living in tents at the, after the Exodus. And each day they would come and they would go to the temple grounds and they would celebrate God's provision for the Israelites physical provisions of food and water during the Exodus. There was also, um, they had also anticipate God's future provision of salvation. So it's a week-long festival. The first six days, the people would gather in the temple precincts and, and the priests would, would go to the pool of uh, Shalom. I think I said it right. Maybe I didn't. But they would fill a pitcher of water. They would, and then they would circle the, 
the, uh, this platform, this altar, and then they would dump this water into a bowl on the altar. And as the priest is doing this, the people would would be um, chanting and reciting various things. One of the thing, one of the things the one commentary I read said they would chant is Isaiah 12:3, which Kyle read earlier today. In 12:3 says, "With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation." And at this point, these promises were still unfulfilled. They're still waiting on the Messiah, and and these people were spiritually thirsty. And they had Jesus right there in their midst, the very water of life. They weren't paying much attention to him. They didn't really understand him, as we see earlier in the chapter. They were going through their their ritual and going on with their religion. In the midst of it all, there was Jesus. Now, Jesus knew after all the rejoicing, they're going to go back to their homes and this ritual would just be a memory. They were going to go back to their fears, their tears, their failures, their heartaches. And this religious exercise would be only but a a memory. It would bring uh, some temporary joy, but it wouldn't last. And on the seventh day, uh, the final day, and John says it's the great day, it, it would function much the same. However, one exception is the priest would circle the altar seven times before he would he would pour the water water onto the altar. And as he's doing this, he's he will raise it up. And some commentary says it's kind of a building of the climax of the festival. And and he would raise it higher as the crowd would chant higher it and before pouring it into the bowl. Well, at some point during this uh, ritual, we see that Jesus doesn't just quietly say. He cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So he he. Uh, I mean, what a dramatic way to what a dramatic moment during this ritual. He's got some people's attention now. And Jesus isn't just interrupting the the festival. He's claiming the fulfillment of the festival. He is the rock that will be struck so that the rivers of spiritual life may pour out from him into the hearts of all those who believe in him. Now, we see people always looking for ways to satisfy Satisfy their hearts, the void in their hearts. They're looking for a sense of purpose, a reason for living. And we oftentimes see people always looking in all the wrong places from drugs, sex, entertainment. Um, they're trying to fill that void. But I fear, and maybe this is my own conviction, I fear that people use religion in the same way. They're trying to use religion to fill their, the void in their hearts. Now, I would say that's a pretty reasonable spot to start. I think many people will find Christ through religion. But let's not get confused. There's many religions in the world, false religions. And I don't think Jesus came to start a religion. He came to start a relationship. And lots of people look into religion for for the answers. Many look for an intellectual reason. They think if I just study more, if I just learn a little more facts, if I study more theology... They go from church to church, filling their heads with knowledge, but their hearts stay empty. Charles, Charles Spurgeon said this. Um, an ounce of heart knowledge is worth a ton of head learning. Now, others think the answer is activity. I, th- I just need to work a little harder. I just need to get busy with that church work. A busy Christian is a happy Christian. I don't think that's the answer. 
Others think in terms of emotional. If I just have some great emotional experience, then that will be the answer. And all these things aren't necessarily bad of them in of themselves, but they're not the source. Others may think like the Pharisees. And they think the answer is how they live their lives, primarily noted by the things they don't do. Pharisee may think, I do this, I go to church. I don't murder. I do this. I don't do that. You see, the Pharisee has religion, but he doesn't have reality. He doesn't know what Jesus is talking about. And I fear that there are many here that have religion, but don't know Jesus. It's time they knew Jesus' heart when he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, there are four things I want you to know from these verses, four things that um, I've been learning. First of all, who are Jesus' subjects here? Who is he speaking to? Well, I think Jesus is speaking to, to thirsty people. And if you look at it, there's a big if there. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, Jesus is speaking to the thirsty. Are you thirsty? Or are you satisfied? There are not a lot of thirsty people today. There are people who come to church and act like they're doing God a favor. They don't come seeking God. They don't come with a thirst. Some might have a shallow thirst and they'll have a shallow satisfaction. Many aren't thirsty at all. They are filled with the stagnant waters of self-love and worldliness. I tell you this, I don't know how much God you have. You have all the God you want. It's not our job to persuade God to fill us. He wants to fill us. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you don't have any more, it's because you don't want any more. It's not because somehow God's neglected you. It's because you've neglected God. If we're not thirsty... We need to analyze our lives and pray that God will help us get, to th- get things in order. We need to pray that we see the big picture. We need to pray for that burning thirst. We need, I tell you, we need to be done with religion and thirst for which is real. Something else we need to understand is the source. Jesus said, if you thirst, come to me. He was talking of himself. We need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't come to religion. We don't come to rituals. We don't come to rules. We don't even clean up our lives and then ask the Lord to fill us. This is one of the biggest mistakes we make. Somehow we get this idea that we want more of God. We want that fullness. We want the spirit. We want that living water. But we think we have to clean up our lives. We have to get right. We have to pray more. We have to study more. We have to work harder. And then we might be a candidate for a blessing. That's workspace righteousness. And we'll never make it. The more we struggle, the more we'll sink. It's like a man in quicksand. One thing I've learned, and Lord help me keep on learning, and this is important. Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. Let me say that again. Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. We don't need to work our way to the way. He is the way. Now, don't get the idea that if you could 
live right, God would fill you with the Holy Spirit. We can't live right until we have the Holy Spirit. If we do all those things to be, in order to be filled, then why do we need to be filled in anyways? It's kind of like going to a, a banker and asking for a loan, right? What do, how do you get a loan? You go to a banker and you say, you basically prove to the banker you don't need money, and then he'll loan you all the money you want, right? I mean, that's kind of, well, God doesn't work that way. It's grace. It's grace. We come to Jesus just as we are. We don't need to get better. We don't need to get stronger. We bring him our weaknesses and our failures and our insecurities. We bring it all because Jesus opened up his arms and is asking, are you thirsty? Come. Let go of everything and come to Jesus. So Jesus is speaking to the thirsty. Jesus is the source. But what what is the secret to this? All this. Look at verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What does that mean? How do you drink? You drink by faith. The next verse explains it. Look at the beginning of verse 38. Whoever believes in me. We drink into Christ by faith. Come and drink. The problem today is there are many people who say they are thirsty and that Christ is the answer, but they never take what he promises. Somehow it gets into their head but never down into their heart. You must drink, and that is done by faith. Drinking is not passive. It is active. There comes a time when we take the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and claim all that he has for us. Suppose there's a person in the desert and he's been out there several days. He's dehydrated. He's perishing for water. He knows he needs water. He knows he's thirsty. Nobody has to tell him that. Then then suppose somebody with a glass of life-saving, life-sustaining water is brought to him. What what would he pay for that? A dollar? These sheep like me, you want to go fill it up in the tap, right? Ten dollars, a million dollars. Price wouldn't be an object at that point. If he has it, he'll pay it. All that a man has, he will do to save his own life. That is the mark of a thirsty man. When somebody's truly thirsty, price isn't an object. The water that Jesus gives is absolutely free, yet it costs everything. We have to give everything to Jesus Yet it's absolutely free. Suppose in the man in the desert, it doesn't drink the water that is offered to him. He looks at it, he studies it, he thinks about it, but doesn't drink. There's lots of people in the world not drinking. We have to drink by faith and obedience and claim what is offered to us. There comes a time and you must drink. So Jesus is speaking to the thirsty. He is the source. We drink by faith. The last thing I want to talk about is the supply. Um, Look at verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Not only is there an income, there will also be an outflow. 
There will be a, there will spring up in us a river of revival and a river of blessing. I think Jesus is telling us that when someone is saved and filled with the spirit, their life is overflowing with joy, praise, testimony and service. A saved person isn't just a, a reservoir or a pool for these blessings. A saved person is carrying these blessings throughout their life like a river through their daily lives. You see, the supply is the spirit that lives within the believer. As I close, let me ask you this. Are you thirsty? That question was kind of convicting for me this week as I studied and prepared this. We try to quench our thirst in many ways. But the only way to satisfy our thirst is through Jesus. And Jesus gave us the answer. Come to me and drink. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity. And I just pray that my my words were glorifying to you and and a blessing to the church. As I studied this week, Father, you you exposed my heart a little bit. And I I just pray that you continue to do that. In your name I pray. Amen.